This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. It's time for Right Spot with Dunedin UNESCO's City of Literature. Well, one time Dunedin resident Essie Summers, author of more than 50 romantic novels, was remembered for her contribution to literature on the weekend when a plaque in her honour was unveiled at the feet of the statue of Robbie Burns. We, uh, we previewed that on uh, last week's edition of the Awesome Morning Show. This morning we're fortunate enough to have Essie Summers' daughter with us, Elizabeth Jack. Uh, morning, lovely to have you with us, Elizabeth. Morning, Thank- it's lovely to be here. Um, a big weekend for the family, no doubt, and uh, a chance to relive some stories, I imagine. Absolutely. Yes, it was a huge weekend, and the reminiscing was just absolutely wonderful. You've uh, come up from Milton today, that's where you're based. Um, what about your earliest days with the fa- with your family and with your mother? Where was, where was that? You want me to go right back? Right back. <laughs> well, I don't remember the Wanganui days. Um, that was where I was born. And then my first memories are of Dunedin, uh, where Dad had, he came to the, it was a new housing area then, the Wakari Parish, and I went to kindergarten there. I can just remember that. Then we shifted to Weston, had an idyllic six years there, absolutely loved it. That's where we made many friends. Four years in Rakaia, that was um, great too, it was another country parish. And then when I was 14, uh, part way into my fourth form or year 10 year, we came down to Dunedin. I fell in love with Dunedin just as my mother did. <laughs> Uh, and uh, and Dad also, of course. Uh, I, I distinctly remember coming down in the rail car, uh, and uh, to when we shifted, and the lights of the city, and I was entranced. Really, went to Otago Girls High School, loved that. Went to Otago University, and in those years, we were living at Preston Crescent, in Balnaws, and it was lovely because we would just walk down through Queen's Drive to school. Um, and then my first job was teaching at Tokomariro High School. After overseas travel and so on, I uh, came back to Tokomariro, fell for a farmer, and I've been there ever since. So that's my association with Otago. Well, it's, it's significant. From the age of 14, really, yeah. and for me, quite a few of those years, I was living in Preston Crescent. The celebration of, of uh, Essie Summers, the, the writer... Is, is one thing, of course, but your memories of her um, won't initially have been of her as a writer, just as a mum. Exactly. Yes, but this was just what mum did. Yeah. <laughs> and and I imagine uh, for a family such as yours, it was relatively unusual for, um, for her to have made that choice to immerse herself in the world of romance writing. Can you remember any, any discussions around it as a family? Not really. Uh, it was. It was. We were so used to mum writing. Um, it was. It was some of my earliest memories uh, waking up to the clack, clack, clack of the typewriter, the old-fashioned Remington typewriter, of course. And I'd just go back to sleep thinking, "Oh yes, well, mum's such a typewriter. God's in his heaven. All's well with the world," kind of thing, <laughs> as you do when you're a child. And But I know now that she had been up very early, of course. She would write from 5 o'clock in the morning before she got distracted by children and parish considerations and the phone going. Um, so, no, I don't remember particular discussions about writing romantic novels, but she was always doing the freelancing. She had a, a 
column, a weekly column in the Timaru Herald for six years. And I wasn't at the conversation, but it is in her autobiography when after about after six years of that and lots of other freelance writing with poetry and articles and she wrote for the Christchurch Star, I think it was called in those days, she felt, she was getting to the stage where she felt a bit jaded and written out with the column and when she said that to Dad, he, she thought he would encourage her by saying, oh, you know, it's just a phase, you'll, you'll freshen up again. But he said, you've always talked about writing a book, Essie. Why don't you do that? Ditch the column and put your time into writing that novel you always wanted to write. What an important conversation it that was. It was indeed. <laughs> do you imagine he expected that she would turn out the kind of material that she did? Oh, I think so. Uh, she'd had an early go at uh, writing a novel when we were in Weston, um, and that was when she was writing the Chimuru Herald articles. Um, and she had had an early go at that, so I think he had some idea. And uh, that first book uh, came out quite a few years later as her favourite, called Sweet Are the Ways. And just for interest's sake, the hero of that one was a minister. I think <laughs> Um, you know, it's it's one thing to have got that novel out of yourself. It's another to write 50 or more and to be hugely successful with them. Absolutely. Um, now, knowing what you know now, I guess there's always elements of, of luck in terms of someone's career taking off in that regard. But, um, you know, how, where did that initial uh, reception for her work come from, the encouragement to keep writing more? I think in her early days with the freelancing, there were a lot more magazines available for uh, people to have their work um, and published. And she always sang the praises of a, an editor from Australia, Llewellyn Smith, Welsh, of course, by background. And he accepted a lot of mum's work, and some of them were quite long stories and serials. And there was an author, a Mills and Boone author over there, Joyce Dingwall, and they became, Mum and Joyce became pen friends, and Joyce was a great encourager. And But I think um, Llewellyn Smith definitely played a big part, but Alan Boone was the big one. Uh, he didn't accept Mum's first book, New Zealand Inheritance, straight off. He made her rewrite it. Now, I'm sure this this kind of fact is probably encouraging to other authors, uh, Mum once read in a write-up of herself that she had never had a rejection and she was mortified and angry because she felt it would be so discouraging for other people and it simply wasn't true. But anyway, to go back to Alan Boone, um, he didn't accept it. He said that she had to, if she could, if she was prepared to rewrite it and take out all the mystery side of it that she had, it was kind of like a mystery romance, <laughs> he'd have another look. And that was because that was the style of what yes, they were publishing? Yes, because it was, it was formulaic, mm. yes. So she did that, and uh, even then Dad made her write a whole section because uh, he was a wonderful encourager, because she said, I want you to look at this. Um, I think I've done this piece pretty well, but I want your judgment on it. And she almost wished she hadn't said, because he came, came out after he'd read this and said, well, where's the great flare-up you were talking about? Um, I felt flat. Uh, you wouldn't have let me off as lightly as that, <laughs> um, meaning the hero. So she rewrote quite a lot of pages for that, and in the end it was accepted. But, you know, it wasn't straight off. 
this is an odd question to ask a daughter, I suppose. But uh, <laughs> but you know that occupying that world of high romance um, and comparing that to you know the reality of daily life. You know, even, even I would imagine that some men would be threatened by their <laughs> their their wives writing work in the style for fear that it might represent some side of them that wasn't being fulfilled or whatever. But that wasn't the case here. There was. There was encouragement all along the way from your father. Yes, there certainly was. Um, he 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 just knew that she was writing what she loved, and I think the fact that her books carried so many descriptions of New Zealand, such a lot of history, she did an immense amount of research, uh, and he was very proud of her. Did you have any sense of the momentum with your mother's writing that that it was something that was becoming tremendously popular. Yes, I think I sensed that when I was probably about 15, 16. Uh, at first, I was very lucky because I was 12 when her first book came out, so I was just on that cusp of moving from children's books to adult and by the time I was about 15 or 16, uh, I was reading all her books, loved them, and uh, I can remember times when I was standing behind her at the typewriter saying, hurry up, because I was reading them hot off the press. I was reading the carbon copies, and I'd say, I've caught up. I want the next chapter. Oh, brilliant. But I did start to get that sense of uh, she was becoming well-known, and sometimes it was quite embarrassing my uh, a clutch of my my school friends at Otago Girls, I remember when I was in uh, year 13 it would have been, they'd got hold of the first book and in that there's a nude scene. Now it's it's very mild by today's standards. It was simply that the heroine came along the riverbank and found the hero <laughs> um, skinny dipping. But they gave me great grief over that and um, then an English teacher of mine stopped me in the corridor one day and uh, I was flabbergasted because I thought she only read the classics and that's what she should be reading. And she said to me, I just want to tell you, Elizabeth, how much I enjoyed your mother's latest book. <laughs> Isn't that great? And I sort of knew from that that, yes, she was becoming pretty well known if my English teacher was reading her. Well, I'm glad to hear that you enjoyed her writing. So, you know, as a fan of her work, what what was its character? Why did you enjoy it? Well, I loved the characters. I, I, you always know how the book is going to turn out, but they have lots of adventures, the hero and the heroine throughout, and sometimes it seems insurmountable, and I thought Mum was very clever with all those um, situations. Uh, but I did love the characters. The The women were not, uh, I'll use an old-fashioned word, they weren't drippy. <laughs> um, they, I heard Ruth Williamson the other day on your program say they didn't just sit on their hands and let the, the men tell them what to do. Uh, they were feisty. And, of course, Mum was that way herself. So she might have been a little bit ahead of her time in that regard. I like to think she was anyway. And I just love the I love being able to read about Dunedin, Christchurch, the, the Central Otago, the places that we knew so well, and here they were. That was unusual back then. In a contemporary setting, one might expect a successful writer, author of this many novels to to manifest all of the things that come along with that um, potentially great wealth um, that didn't come her way 
She did make a very comfortable living, not in the early days when it was simply the uh, freelancing. Um, Every rejection was sort of a kick in the teeth, not just for your writing, but also financially. Uh, And Dad was a minister, so the salary wasn't big. So the early days were quite tough. And at one stage she did, when we came down to Dunedin, it was the year of the Black Budget, 1958, and it was the first time they'd ever had to buy a house because Dad had stepped out of the ministry at that stage, so there was no man's. And uh, so Mum decided she was going to get a job, apart from her writing one, and she got a job as a copyholder on the Evening Star and just absolutely loved that. So life was tough financially for quite a few years but then the books started to bring in the royalties Uh, so she did make a really good income and then in their retirement they were able to do all the travelling they'd never been able to do and also mum was a great benefactor of not just the normal sort of charities that we give to but people behind the scenes um, that we wouldn't necessarily even know about but I knew she did She died in 1998 at the age of 86. Was she writing to the end? Yes. Her last book came out. It wasn't a Mills and Boone. Her last four books were not for Mills and Boone. And the last one came out a year before she died in in, um, 1997. And so that's a long period of writing. And I I imagine that necessarily within that time... Uh, she would have challenged herself to come up with storylines. Did you ever even experience her going through any any issues of writer's block or, or or wailing and gnashing of teeth about I just can't find something new to write about? <laughs> yes, she did get writer's block, and it was when they were living in Preston Crescent, um, and there was a lot happening at that time because we had our uh, two grandmothers at one stage both living with us frail grandmothers, one with um, dementia, and she nursed my father's mother, my grandmother on that side, um, until her death. So uh, she was also trying to write at the same time, and she did get a, a bad dose of writer's block, and Dad packed her off to Timaru to a hotel and said, stay there for a week and we'll look after the mothers. <laughs> But that wasn't really, that's not particularly answering your question in terms of, you mean in terms of the actual material or thinking of a plot or Well, I mean, I, I don't understand writer's block well enough to know what how that manifests. But yes, I mean, just in terms of being able to generate ideas, I mean, you mentioned that when you're writing for this style, it is formulaic. Yes. Um, there is an expectation of how this thing proceeds along. So yes. uh, in one way, you've got one problem solved, but then it also creates a problem because it would limit the scope of what you could write about. That would be so, I'm sure. But... So the writer's block experience that I'm talking about was a bit really more related to the situation she was in. She was in the middle of a book, so it wasn't the fact that she didn't have her characters and couldn't think Mm. think of a plot and so on. No, I don't think that ever happened to her because in her autobiography she talks about um, being two or three books ahead in her mind. I don't know how she did that, but that was where she used to jot things down all the time about the books that were still to be written (laughs) while she was in the middle of writing her her current book. So I don't think she ever did because she would all sorts of things would spark off ideas for her. Um, real life incidents, 
um, and of course the, the different backgrounds that she loved to research and go to and write about in her beloved New Zealand. The unveiling of the plaque on the writer's walk at the weekend, you were there of course, uh, and your brother Bill Fleet as well. Yes. Um, overdue? Well, I don't know if that's for us to say. I, that's a difficult question. I had never thought of it. It had never entered my head, although she had been honoured in Christchurch where she lived the first 27 years of her life. There's a Ryman's uh, retirement village named after her, the UC Summers Retirement Village, and that came out of the blue a few years ago and blew my brother and I away. We were, it was amazing. And it's not the sort of thing that Essie would ever have sought, although she would have been delighted. And she is there is a plaque for her uh, in the Christchurch Writers' Walk, just near Worcester Street Bridge. But I had never thought, oh, it's about time Dunedin did something. And then one day, uh, a wonderful journalist for the Otago Daily Times, Bruce Munro, uh, who writes fe- wonderful feature articles, rang me out of the blue and had an interview with me you know, like this, over the, but over the phone, and wrote an article in the mix. And in that, he raised exactly the same question, do you think it's time Essie Summers was honoured in Dunedin? And I said then, well, I don't know that that's for us to say. Uh, so I, I don't I don't like to talk about it being overdue. I just think it's... Uh, the weekend was a wonderful celebration, and so many people came to it. Our many of our old friends, and present friends, and all our family, and and lots of people I'd never met. And it was such a wonderful atmosphere, really, on Saturday. The mayor spoke beautifully, and we were so excited to unveil that plaque. I imagine there are plenty of people who have heard about the event that was coming up over the weekend, perhaps heard these discussions. Yes, Summers, I, I haven't I haven't read her. Uh, you would hope, uh, I guess, that, that coming out of this might be some more momentum for people to, to revisit her work. It may do. I mean, I had my hair done a few days before the event and my lovely little hairdresser said, oh, what was her name? And when I said, um, she said, oh, I don't know that name at all. I must get one. (laughs) So, so of course, it's a much earlier generation who were reading her books. There are some young people still who do, evidently, but if I know about it, I always warn them, well, they are dated. You know, it's before the the internet and cell phones and so on. Uh, But there has been quite an exciting development over the last little while with um, this fan in Houston, Texas, uh, male, who... uh, is um, has been a long-time reader of my mother's books, and he came out two years ago and did the whole trip, the E.C. Summers Trail around New Zealand with his wife and a very long-suffering, gorgeous son uh, with them. So <coughs> why I'm telling you this is that he has just launched uh, his first E.C. Uh, Summers e-book, um, with Amazon, so he's making it available. He's making his his desire is to make Essie Summers novels available uh, on Kindle. Well, that will be a whole other life for those books, then. Well, well, it would be wonderful if it was, wouldn't it? Something that that my mother had never heard of. <laughs> Indeed, <laughs> Elizabeth Jacks. Um, 
been wonderful to talk with you this morning. Thanks for making the trip uh, from Milton to be with us here on the Awesome Morning Show. I hope uh, that the weekend was everything you hoped it would be. Uh, we look forward to the story continuing, perhaps. Thank you, Jeff. It's been wonderful. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.